and welcome to Women at Warp. Join us as our crew of four women Star Trek fans boldly go on our bi-weekly mission to explore our favorite franchise. My name's Andy, and thanks for tuning in. Today I am joined by Sue. Hi, everybody. And also our special guest, Sabriel. Hi, everyone. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and your history with Star Trek? Sure, let's see. I've been watching Star Trek since I was about TNG, and I think I was about five when I first saw it. And actually, I hated it, because uh, the first episode I saw was the one where Worf was on the holodeck fighting some scary yellow monster. <laughs> and like, I just saw the episode recently, I can't recall which one, but it was very, you know, like first season, maybe second season, so maybe I was six, whatever. And like, nope, 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 right out of there. Uh, months later, I remember watching my pa- or my parents were watching some space show. I'm like, oh, I like space, kind of. So I started watching. I didn't realize it was the same show. And at that point, I fell in love with it. I have been ever since. I've, I make sure to catch every single thing immediately. All the news, all the shows, all the cool things. I even played the Star Trek card game for years. And uh, oh, <laughs> the Star Trek is my life. <laughs> It sure feels like it anyway. Star Trek card game. That's a deep cut. I didn't know there was a card game. Oh, yeah. There's even two editions of it. Oh, wow. It operated a little bit like magic, right? Vaguely. In the sense that you had, like, different points and decks and, like, different characters were better against other characters. I didn't play magic that often. I'll just make that clear. A very short version of it. In the first edition, your goal is to get 100 points by completing missions. And you had a cruise. You could have a, a Federation crew. You could have... Romulan, Klingon, all almost major uh, factions out there in the world. And then in around 2000, they're like, okay, this game has gotten too huge and convoluted, so we're going to make a streamed down version. And so that one still goes. And they still go to this day, even though the company made them closed like 10 years ago. The fans actually keep it going. Well, we'll have to do, because we've been... We've been working through a series on fandom, like different aspects of fandom, and we're definitely going to be doing a gaming one, which would be more, we had been thinking more along the lines of the video games, like Star Trek Online and Timelines and stuff, but I didn't realize there was quite so an intense of a Star Trek game, art <laughs> game, although obviously I should have expected that. That makes perfect sense for, for Star Trek. <laughs> Anything that's collectible makes perfect sense yeah. for a Star Trek. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. <laughs> so in short, I'm a huge Star Trek fan. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you here. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, well, today we're going to be talking about women in security. But first, we have some housekeeping. As usual, we want to remind you about our Patreon. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash women at warp. And if you'd like to support the show monetarily, you can do so for as little as a dollar a month, and every little bit helps keep us going and keep bringing you more and more Star Trek content. And speaking of content, we also have our blog. It's still going strong, and we are getting more and more submissions every day. So many. It's... Sue's a little overwhelmed. Well, no, not quite overwhelming, but like we've got content lined up uh, with our current schedule of one original post a week through, you know... October ish. <laughs> There's been a lot and it's awesome. But if you'd like to see some of that content sooner, our next Patreon goal is that if we make it to uh, $650 a month, we're currently, as of this recording, at $544. Uh, but if we make our next goal, we'll be able to publish two original posts a week. 
And that is because we pay all of our contributors. We, we provide an honorarium. And that's really important for us to um, make sure that people are compensated for their work. So uh, if you'd like to support us, again, that's patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash women at warp. Alrighty, sounds good. So we are going to be talking about women in security today, which I think is a pretty interesting topic. We don't actually have a whole lot of security women, uh, but the ones we do have, some of them are, are very interesting and some of them are extremely well written. And there's, I think, a lot to talk about, about the ideas of femininity and what is proper for femininity to do in a job scenario and how gendered some of these roles end up being on the Enterprise and elsewhere in Star Trek. Um, so thank you very much for suggesting the topic, Sabriel. I think it's a deep one. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's an interesting... I, I came up with it uh, one day. I was watching the animated series and uh, there was an episode where all the men... The, oh, it's called the, uh, the Lorelei Signal. And all the men had been mind-controlled by uh, basically, the equivalent of the sirens from the old Greek Greek mythology. <laughs> and all that's left is women on the ship. And now all of a sudden, like, oh, there's women in security. Mm-hmm. You never saw, you know, you don't really think about it, but you don't really see it. And like, wow. So I started investigating women in security, other roles. Like, obviously, there's like Tashiar. But, you know, it's not as common as you think or may think. Yeah, we tend to see women in medical that's where I feel like we see the, the bulk of our women. I mean, we, it just feels like the background characters, when you're talking about background, I'm not even talking about, like, major characters, you are more likely to see women in medical, I feel. Does that seem Oh, absolutely. Accurate? They're in yeah. the sciences or medical, yeah. usually. Once in a while, someone will be at the con. And, you know, once in a while, they allow someone to actually be captain, like Janeway. <laughs> <laughs> if we go... You know, chronologically by air date, which I think is our usual order, <laughs> you're definitely not going to see any in TOS. Yeah, we have like yeomen, like background characters. Yeomen mm-hmm. and nurses, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, but the animated series really changes it up with that episode, the Lorelei signal, which gets pointed to a lot, I think, when we, we talk about this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And we also get and Norad in The Survivor. Which is one of my favorite episodes. Okay, you guys. First of all, I will stand all day for the animated series, which is amazing, and you should be watching it. Don't listen to what anybody else says about the animated series. Listen to me. Enjoy it. Okay? So The Survivor is basically an episode where this guy comes back onto the Enterprise and is like, hey, I'm an explorer that got lost a long time ago. And everyone's like, cool, man. We thought you were dead. And he's like, nope, I'm not dead at all. I'm also not suspicious in any way. Also, (laughs) I think that my fiancé is here somewhere. Can I see her? And it turns out he's not the guy. He's not the explorer. He's actually a tentacle alien that can, like, change his face. And he's a Romulan spy. And he just wanders around the Enterprise knocking people out and one of my favorite moments is when he cradles Kirk so gently in his arms and tucks him into bed because he's actually a good guy and by the end of the episode he's convinced that he doesn't have to be a Romulan spy. He can he can live a, a full and happy life without being a spy. It's a wonderful episode. And the, <laughs> his fiance is played is played by Nichelle Nichols. Her name is Ann Norad and she is a trip, man. A trip. <laughs> well 
she doesn't really have a ton to do in that episode except be in love with the tentacle monster. Okay, come on, man. But... She just wanders around. She's like, oh, God, I have a phaser, and my fiancé is actually a tentacle monster, and I should probably phaser him, but I can't. I can't. <laughs> okay, but but in um, the recent book, the one of the ones celebrating the 50th anniversary, uh, the novel The Face of the Unknown, we get a lot of more background on her as uh, she's new on the ship and like learning the role of security and is actually like a fully rounded character in that book. See, I love the books. I love it, especially when they are set between the original series and the animated series. And we get this background on these characters that are like one offs for half an hour. I just love that somebody was like, you know who we should write a book about and Norad. I love Star Trek. I love Trekkies. Well, it's not really about her, but... <laughs> when I was uh, blessed to be a guest on Aaron's show, Saturday Morning Trek, and we talked about this episode, you can check it out. I think we called it... <laughs> There's always money in the banana yellow suit or something. <laughs> I don't know. We did something <laughs> We did something like that because the tentacle monster is always wearing this amazing like yellow leisure suit. And I got a chance to unveil my awesome Ann Norad impression, just basically just like, oh, gosh, sir, I can't possibly, I can't possibly shoot him. It's a lot of fun. I love this episode, guys. Watch it. (laughs) Your your impression there was basically like any woman on Star Trek before like 1975. (laughs) That's true. That's true. (laughs) Especially the animated series, because they're trying so hard to make it not obvious that all the voices were Michelle Nichols and Majel Barrett. But then at the end, they just gave up. Yeah, eventually they were just like, eh, whatever. People love it anyway. Or at least I loved it anyway. And actually, the other episode we were talking about, uh, Lorelai Signal, is the one I was on Saturday Morning Trek about. <laughs> okay, so Sue and we I got this covered. are experts on the animated series, clearly. <laughs> the best thing about the animated series is that they took full, like, TOS, like, hour-long plots and just smashed them into about 28 minutes. And then colored them like they were on LSD. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so good. So great. So good. <laughs> the thing, though, that makes me frustrated with Andorad in this episode, even though I love it, is that she can't possibly do her job, apparently. And that frustrates me, because I feel like we see that a lot in Star Trek, where we have women who are being overcome by their emotions and then can't do their job. We see that ton in TOS, where we have all of these women Starfleet officers who are suddenly overcome with their love for this random villain of the week. That drives me nuts. Hell, that still happens to this day. Like, I was just watching Voyager yesterday, and it even happened to Harry Kim, but... (laughs) (laughs) Poor Harry. Yeah, but at but, least um, in Voyager, it's equal opportunity. Maybe that's true. That's true. <laughs> but uh, no, I mean, really though, yeah. I mean, women were often regarded as the ones who, oh, I'm just so overcome with emotions that I can't focus on my one, two thing. Oh, and it, it's frustrating. Yeah, it's like you have no depth for these characters at all. Actually, now that I think about it, in the uh, Into Darkness, I mean, Uhura has a moment like that where she's like, you know, I know we're on this super intense mission, but I really feel like I have to talk to my boyfriend right now. Oh, yeah. Oh, that pissed me off. Yeah. (laughs) And I think, actually, you've kind of hit on the issue we have with women in security anyway and why they're not very 
commonly portrayed either here or in command is because it's perceived that women can't overcome their emotions when they're in stressful situations. And I'm here to tell you we can. You heard it here first. Do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at our list of characters, I, the the interesting thing to me about the ones for TNG and DS9 that we're about to go through is that they all sort of have this traumatic past. Mm, yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So they all have this this quality of being, like, quote, damaged and maybe a little bit angry. Yeah. It's interesting. So, I mean, we're definitely, definitely stereotyping here. Mm-hmm. I had not noticed that. You're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of TNG, do you want, shall we start with the, the big one, Tasha Yar? Tasha Yar. Tasha Yar. Oh, Tasha, I love you, but no. <laughs> uh, not well served, I do not think. Oh, absolutely not. And, um, I mean, Denise Crosby has made it clear over and over again that she left this show in the first season, not only because of, you know, issues with uh, sexism behind the set, like b- backstage. I don't know. What do you call it? Like off camera. That's the word. <laughs> Sorry, I work in theater, so I sometimes the language doesn't change in my head right away. You know, it still <laughs> works. It's still a stage. <laughs> but uh, that she was miserable and she didn't want to spend, you know, the next six years wearing the same uni- uniform, standing in the same position on the bridge and saying, aye, aye, captain. Yeah. You know, which I get because they didn't really give her much to do. And when they did, code of honor... It was super, super racist and super, super sexist. Yeah. Or I can never remember which one, which one. I always get the TOS and the TNG episodes mixed up. Which you're talking about Naked Naked Now? Naked Now or the Naked Time. I don't know which one in the TNG. It's it's now. Okay. It's Naked Now now is TNG. The Naked Now where I don't even know what to say about that episode. It makes me really sad. Where she can't control herself. Right in front of Data. But then I never get to be feminine. You have such pretty clothes. Ugh. Yeah. (laughs) And the thing is, is I actually think that that could be an interesting character development moment where Mm -hmm. you have a woman that feels like she's forced to be masculine and wants to explore her feminine inside. I think that could work. But the way that they did it was more like, I don't even know. It's just super stereotypical and also like, all all women secretly want to play dress up, you know, and uh, that's frustrating. Oh, absolutely! If they were able to expand upon that, like her whole motif was, you know, she's struggling to be in this role because she wants to be feminine or something. Like that that would be different. Mm-hmm. But no, it's just a one-off. She's doing this because of some oh, was it virus uh, or whatever? Yeah, who knows? Some people like, yeah. shenanigans. Exactly. And it's like, well, that just cheapens it. Yeah. Yeah. And it actually brings up an interesting point that we got on our Facebook, which, you know, uh, Marina Sirtis and Denise Crosby were eventually going, or were originally cast to be the opposite roles. So Chris said, I think it's fairly well known that Crosby and Sirtis had originally been cast with the opposite roles from the ones they eventually filmed. And Crosby certainly gave the Yar character a tough athletic demeanor that worked well for a security officer. But if that casting switch had never been made, what would a Sirtis version of Yar been like? 
would she have seemed like quite as much of a natural fit for security? And would it have been so bad if she hadn't? I find it hard to imagine her in, in any role other than the Troy now. So I think that it's interesting that they directly pit like the femininity of Troy against the perceived masculinity of Yar in that scene. And I don't know, it's super interesting. I think it I think it could have been really cool to have someone as feminine as Marina Sirtis or stereotypically feminine as Marina Sirtis playing a security officer. I think that could have been very interesting, to be honest. And then have someone with Denise Crosby's energy be, you know, essentially a psychologist. I think it would definitely depend on how they were mm-hmm. written and directed. Because, I mean, part of the reason that they might have wanted a, a stereotypically feminine person in a security role is so that she wouldn't be threatening to the mm. audience, which would be the wrong yeah. reason, rather than trying to turn things on their head. And seeing as this was still the late 80s, I'm guessing that it was the wrong yeah, reason. Oh, uh, what might have been, what might have been. It reminds me of the Dark Mirror, which is the um, the Mirror Universe book that Diane Duane wrote for TNG, where actually... Yeah. Troy is the Mirror Universe's security officer, essentially, but she's basically like a torturer and like super, super evil, but everyone is terrified of her and she just kind of like rolls around the Enterprise, you know, enforcing loyalty. She's still Troy, but she is scary. I would have loved to see that version only, you know, for good. Oh, yeah. That would have been amazing. But let's face it, they couldn't even pull off what they pulled off <laughs> in the first season with Yar. So I don't know if it would have worked. But. Yeah. And just to, to, I know I'm being a little bit down on early TNG right now, but uh, Marina Sirtis has also said that not once in the first few years of TNG did she ever get an acting note. When she got a call from the higher-ups, it was about, like, did you change your hair or did you get the new shade of lipstick we picked out for you? She was there to be the dress-up doll. I think she called herself a potted plant on the bridge once. Which, Mm -hmm. ouch, man. Yeah. It's unfortunate. Like, the characters, they're like, Data had his thing. He wants to be human. Mm -hmm. Uh, Jordy was, I don't think he even had much of a thing other than he was the pilot. I don't know if he had a shtick. Which is why they moved him to engineering, to, I to think. To actually give him something. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but they were just so... Back in those early days of TNG, they didn't have a huge like plan for a lot of these people. No. They just had, let's have this diverse cast of characters. Yay! But we have yeah. no plan for them. But in the half season we had Yar, we actually did get a lot of background. It's just terrible her, background. Even though it was terrible right. and upsetting all the time. But, but she didn't really have a goal that she seemed to be working for. Like no. Data did. And so that really worked for his character. Uh, she didn't seem to have any aspirations. She was just, let's have a story about Tasha this time. Let's have a story about this. And I think it just really would have served her and all, all the characters to have more of an aspiration. But that's more of a critique on Star Trek and as a whole than the topic. <laughs> Man, when I'm thinking of going back to Code of Honor a little bit, it's actually like weirdly flattering of Tasha Yar in some ways. I mean, it ends up being horrible. But they're like, she's so beautiful and strong that she catches the eye of this dude on this planet. But they they make it just so icky that you kind of forget that Yar is super competent. And that's why she's impressive. 
And that makes me sad because we didn't get to see her be super competent very often. And as soon as she's captured, I guess, she stops being super yeah. competent. Man, they could fix so many problems with their female characters on Star Trek if they just let them be competent. I mean, even with the Survivor, yeah. like, imagine <laughs> what how much more interesting it would have been if Ann Nord had phasered the crap out of her tentacle fiancé monster and then, then, like, had a conversation with him in jail. Like, you can still have that story and have her do her job, <laughs> and it would have made her a much more interesting character. I've decided that that's the main thing I want from Discovery is to have all the characters be competent. And I feel like that happens at the end of TNG. Like, if I want to watch, like, professional people being good at their jobs, I watch, like, season five, six, or seven of Next Gen. <laughs> Look how amazing uh, Troy got as soon as they let her be competent and put her in a uniform. Yep. Once Captain Jellico comes and forces her to wear her uniform. <laughs> Uh, she all of a sudden knows how to do her job. She's professional. And how she wants to be an officer. I think the second time they tried to portray a woman in security, they did a much better job, which is kind of depressing because they did it all within one episode instead of, you know, half of a season. And that's Cito Jaxa from Lower Decks. So we do get some background of Cito Jackson, the first duty where she was, uh, you know, involved in Wesley Crusher's shenanigans at Starfleet Academy. But for the most part... We have Lower Decks for her, and we did an episode on Lower Decks for Women at Warp, so if you want to check out more of our thoughts about that episode, you can check that out. But just in general, I think that this is pretty much the high point for women in security on Star Trek, which is kind of depressing, considering she only gets two episodes. Yeah, but they never interestingly call her a security officer. They refer to her as tactical throughout the episode. Yeah, but she's under Worf. Right. So there's, I mean, there's this weird, like, semantic thing happening in Star Trek, where is it security or is it tactical? And which word do we use in this situation? But I would think also so far she is the most feminine yeah. of the characters that we do see in security, but still has, like, the, the gumption, the guts to stand up for herself and say, you know what, this isn't fair, and actually gets rewarded for that, like... She's one of the few characters who stands up to Captain Picard. Yes. Mm -hmm. And rightly. Yes. I just, I really love her, and I really love what they did with her, and I really would have loved to see her again, although I do kind of like the way that they left it with her, again, doing her job and doing it well. I wish we had, would have had more with her. Yeah. I mean, I understand her arc, and, and she died there. Spoilers. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, I wish we could have had more of her. If she could have been on there for a few episodes before um, like before this whole episode about her. Yeah, that could have been cool. Just give her a couple of moments here or there and kind of build her background. up as a character. Yeah. She, would have, she would have been an excellent recurring character. And I think she would have done well in DS9 myself. But I also, I get it. I get that the, the impact is lessened if she does come back. Yeah. yeah, yeah, which makes it so if she would have had a recurring role for mm -hmm. a few episodes, I think, yeah, it would have been way better. It would have hurt even more like, to see this person we became, we come to know and love all of a sudden is killed in action. Yeah, but I think she's she's a good example of you don't have to be masculine to be, quote unquote, strong or tough. That doesn't, that, I, and I think this goes 
all the way back to what we were talking about earlier about the gendered nature of some of these jobs and how writers and creators have such trouble with figuring out how to balance those ideas of gender when it comes to jobs. And occasionally they get it right, and I, I feel like they really struggle with this. You have all of these these women on the enterprise in in like nurturing roles rather than I don't know this kind of powerful security type role. And I mean, even when we're talking about the background, whenever you've got somebody like call security, you've got a whole load of dudes running around. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Almost always. Once at a blue moon, and it seemed like I had someone nearby the set. They're like, "Hey, we need you to get in this gold uniform." <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs> Along those lines, something I'm noticing about our list of people in security or security-like roles. In TNG and DS9, almost all of them are Bajoran. Mm-hmm. They're all Bajoran women. Yeah, we're about to bring up Bro, who is a security officer in the books. Not mm-hmm. when she was on TNG, but later on in the books. And I think that she is a good example of the type of balance that is is found when you have um, kind of a a, a tough woman i feel like roe is tashi r 2.0 only done well in a lot of ways yeah and then we also have kira from ds9 on our list to talk about even though she's not technically security she fulfills that role as as the first officer on ts9 she's often the one that's making decisions for the security of ds9 she works really closely with odo in that regard as well and they're all Bajoran, you're right. Yeah, because we have these troubled past of being in the occupation, and now they're all... Tough and angry. Tough and angry, yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, heck, heck, and you can actually go a different route where Ro and Kira started out as the same person. Yes, they had this idea to bring Ro back over to DS9, which again could have been awesome, but then we wouldn't have had Nana, so I'm, I'm fine mm-hmm. with the way that things <laughs> fell out. Um, but yeah, I mean, you can definitely see the roots of Ro and Kira. Right. And, you know, just to jump back a little bit, as, as, you know, as things change from early TNG to late TNG, like, as things improved for for the representation of, of women in these, you know, n- traditionally masculine roles, if you want to put it that way, there were still things going on, you know, behind the scenes. Because when they decided to make Jadzia a trill, they changed the makeup from the host so that she would still be a pretty woman and not somebody with a bunch of weird, you know, forehead makeup. Like anybody could make Terry Farrell not a pretty woman. (laughs) Like that is even possible. There are still these decisions being made to, to, to keep the women attractive and to keep them appealing to the audience and this fear that like if you take that femininity away that, that people like that, that your viewing audience isn't going to be interested or they're going to be even turned off by these decisions. Yeah. I mean, you can have men be all variety of attractive and body type and all of that sort of thing, but you got to keep the women sexy always. Right. I mean, you can have Kira be a total badass, but you still have to have her ha- have Nana visitor's face and be gorgeous and deadly. So... I don't know. I think I think this is also something I'd love to see for Discovery. I'd love to see some more diversity in not only body type, but just like 
I think Grace put it as, I want to see some ugly aliens. <laughs> and, yeah. and I would love that, too. I would love to just see women that don't look like traditionally feminine Earth women. You know, like... Let's get a female Tellarite. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I just think that could be interesting. But also, in the in the relaunch with TNG uh, shared continuity books, you've got, because Worf, you know, is off on DS9... I hope you got to that part, Andy. <laughs> I haven't gotten to that part, but I know that it's coming. I just, I said it without even thinking. <laughs> it's hard to miss all of the promo f- pictures that where Worf <laughs> is just true. like hanging out. And I'm like, oh, Worf's on DS9, I guess. Okay. But uh, in the in the <laughs> TNG relaunch books, there are several more women in these high power roles on uh, the Enterprise E, I guess, uh, including Chief of Security. So you've got that going as well. And um, yeah, Roe in these books goes into security and ends up, you know, coming up the ranks even more. And I will definitely try not to spoil that. (laughs) (laughs) You know, but it's a shame that you have to go to resort to the books to get them into powerful positions, which, yay, I'm I'm very glad for it. But it's sad that it can't be on screen. Mm hmm. It seems like they have so much more freedom to be progressive in the books. Mm, definitely. Yeah, it's not even just, like, women. It's queer people, too. Mm-hmm. It, I just, I wish that we had, had we had the same freedom on network television as we do in the books. Well, hopefully Discovery will change this. I hope so, too. And I have, I have hope. The Kind of the way that the creators have been talking about Discovery makes me have hope. Like, especially when Brian Fuller was involved, and um, I'll cry about that later, um, <laughs> not on this episode, um, but kind of the, the way they've talked about their visions of the future that they want to portray has been very inspiring. So I'm hoping that we'll get that, but it just, it's so much more fraught when you're trying to launch a series and you're hoping not to, I guess, offend people. Or turn people off to your show. But, I mean, really, the bones of Star Trek is super progressive. So, I guess, knock on wood. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, Kira feels very security-esque to me. Like, she has a lot of the qualities that we saw in Yar and Worf uh, while on the bridge. And Odo, even though he is our, our actual security officer for Deep Space Nine is mostly, like, harassing Quark. Yeah, he's more like a police officer. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Constable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he is a constable. It's, uh, well, he is technically security on the station. He, like, one, he's not always the greatest at his job. <laughs> but DS9 security. I'm like, so much goes on on DS9 that should have been caught. It feels like he's in charge of, like, internal law-abiding. Yeah. And whereas, but- like... Kira would be in charge of the actual security of the station, like threats from the outside. Yeah, I remember, I want to say it's, what's the episode where, very early in in DS9, where the Cardassians are like, is that even the pilot where they, where they kind of come attack DS9 kind of, and she's like, stand down, and she doesn't budge an inch? I feel like that's super early in DS9. I remember seeing that and just being like so blown away with how uncompromisingly tough she was. And mm-hmm. I loved it. And that's what makes me think of 
Like, I know she's not a security officer, but when I'm thinking security officers on DS9, my mind is immediately going to Kira and not Odo. Which, sorry, Odo, I, I love when he solves mysteries, but I feel like she's the one that's, she's the one that's the red alert person. And I feel like the first, the first officer always has that kind of security quality to them, too, because Riker had that, too, where I feel like that was one of their main jobs. I don't get a security feeling from Riker at all. <laughs> Not mean, in the same way. He he bellows red alert a lot, but like... No one yells red alert like Riker, Sue. Let's be real. <laughs> Put his leg up on the chair and say, red alert? Red alert, chills up! <laughs> it's so perfect. Anyways... I mean, I guess I guess if we're just calling it red alert, then yeah, that's not security. But still, I I enjoy that aspect of Kira very much. She goes in there and gets gets things done, kind of in a different way. Yeah, that she, definitely feels like she's like, I got this. Yeah, she's also not as by the book as Riker. Also true, because well, her book is different. Yeah, that's true. That's true, and that's another thing is Kira is not a Starfleet officer. Yeah, she's another troubled woman from the occupation of the Bajoran, who <laughs> um, is tough as nails and is not going to take crap from anyone. Yeah, but that makes me think, like, is there a difference between Starfleet security officers and, like, other security officers? Now, see, this is now making me think of, like, what are you learning in the academy at Starfleet when it comes to security? Because, first of all, the security officers on the Enterprise going all the way back to TOS are laughably bad. Like, do you remember <laughs> the episode um, with Assignment Earth where they get taken out by the tiny black cat? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> it's And always go, two guards, make sure your weapons are not drawn, and so that the person you're escorting can turn around and easily dispatch you. <laughs> it's kind of hilariously bad how the security officers are when it comes to Starfleet. So maybe the reason that Kira is so effective is she didn't go to Starfleet Academy where they, <laughs> they taught them all these really bad habits to get into. Like, security! Get ready! And they're all like, okay! And <laughs> and then they run at someone and get punched in the face. And... Well, as, I, as I've talked to a mutual friend, uh, Shari, for um, like Star- Starfleet and Federation. Well, Starfleet's all about science, so like they have no idea how to do all the security stuff. We're scientists, and so maybe that, that you know they don't know they don't know how to train security officers because you know they don't think about it. Well, if you think about TOS, Spock was an excellent fighter. Kirk was an excellent fighter. The security officers were pathetically bad flailers. <laughs> they're like ah, and then their just, arms would just wave, and then they'd fall. <laughs> I feel like base, basic martial arts would probably be something that you'd want your security officers <laughs> to know. But have we ever seen a security officer, like, land a punch successfully? Yar. Yeah, but she's, like, I mean, I'm talking about, like, these background guys. Extras. Yeah. They're, all, no. they're basically there to get knocked out repeatedly. Yeah. To show how menacing our enemy is. That's right. They're always very tough. And they're always guarding doors and, like, not <laughs> noticing somebody sneaking in them. Yeah, well, they're facing the wrong way. They never actually, <laughs> never actually face the door. God, I don't know why I never yeah. really noticed this before, but, uh, like, every time I'm trying to think of those background security officers, they're always 
super incompetent. So maybe we shouldn't <laughs> be uh, complaining about the competency of the women security officers, because actually, at least Ann Nora noticed that her fiancé was a tentacle <laughs> monster. That's better than a lot of these other guys. <laughs> oh, man. I mean, for anything but science, apparently. Or flying. Piloting. But speaking of background characters, though, like, making this list, there aren't even women as background security characters. Yeah. Very rare. Like, we... We tried. Yeah, we made, we really we made tried. lists, guys. And there's not very many. <laughs> I mean, you could find the occasional episode where there is one, but but they don't, they're not a named role at all. Right. No one says, like, Johnson, yeah. over here. And she doesn't go, I, sir. Mm, not even that. And I don't know. I just would love to have some some background characters be women. Like, have the, the, the silly person guarding the door looking the wrong way be a woman. That's all I'm asking. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Uh. And we were just thinking about moving on to Voyager, but are there any women in security on Voyager? Did they all die when the caretaker <laughs> threw them across the universe? The medical department and all of the female security officers just got wiped out. <laughs> it was very selective. Oh, man. But, I mean, my gut reaction when you're like, women in security, Voyager, go, I'm like, Seska. And is that because she's Bajoran now, I'm wondering? Maybe, maybe <laughs> part Bajoran, part Cardassian. Spoilers. I got that far. Woo! Oh, <laughs> but no, she, like, she was an engineering with uh, Torres. Yeah, she definitely was an engineer. I think it's because she's a spy. Maybe. Maybe she's, uh, we could call her Cardassian security. <laughs> <laughs> Which is actually an interesting point. Like, we've been focusing on Starfleet, but I can't think of very many women in, or say, Cardassian security either. Most of the spy-type people are men, except for Seska. Oh, as far as I've seen so far, to be fair. Yeah, we had we had the judge um, woman, Cardassian. Yeah, I remember her. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, Garrick's grandma, was it Neela? No, someone else. Uh, let's see, there are very f- oh, a few, few women in science. Mm-hmm. And Cardassian science. And maybe a random gull or something? Yeah, it definitely seems like they're pretty heavily weighted in the security and tactical and like warmongering side, military aspect, yeah. to men. And I do remember seeing the, the Cardassian... Oh, I guess when they had that episode where the, sci- the, the scientists came from Cardassia... They had a person there that was posing as a scientist, but was actually a spy, now that I think about it. But, again, is spying really security? I don't know. In one sense, but it's not the security role of Star Trek. Yeah, it's true. It's a, it's a tactical role, for sure. Yeah. But it is not a security officer. Can I just say that one like. of the most annoying things about Seska is, again, her competency? <laughs> I'm just super frustrated with female villains especially being super, super incompetent. I remember when I started suspecting her, I was like, I feel like she might even be innocent because it's so obvious she's not. Like, it has <laughs> to be a fake out, right? But it wasn't, and I was just really frustrated with that. I was like, Garrick would be shaking his head at this. This is this is bad. And then she fell into the role of, oh, I love Chakotay so much, I have to do all these things that can't stop thinking about him. Yep. 
goodness. Chakotay, really? Okay, sorry. That was mean. <laughs> I, I like Chakotay. They just don't give him enough to do for me to, like, love him yet. And I'm hoping that changes. I, I am happy that they, they like, he, he realized <laughs> that he was clueless. <laughs> when he was like, was everybody on my ship a spy? Oh, I love that scene. <laughs> was anyone working for me? No. No, Chakotay. No. How far are you into Voyager? I have finished the first season. Okay. So, um, hopefully... I won't give you spoilers. Yeah, get, get farther <laughs> soon, but... The thing is, the crew compliment doesn't change much. <laughs> no, it doesn't. For a very small crew, you don't see much. Changeover? Yeah, you don't see changeover. Where are they going to transfer? <laughs> true, no. true. That's true. I mean, that's part of the problem for the McKee, too, is they're like, well, where are we going to go? Like, even if we hate Janeway... And even if we hate Tuvok, like, I love that episode where Tuvok makes some run laps everywhere. Even if we hate it, like, where are we going to go? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. They're kind of trapped. Poor people. Maybe they should have trained Kess to be a security officer as well as the medical. Oh, that would have been <laughs> I would have loved to see Kess karate chop some dudes. That would have been awesome. <laughs> Instead of being the, you know, weakling. Yeah. Again, who often yeah. thinks about love. Eventually, they wrote that up. Spoilers, they, she isn't focused on Yay. love later. Especially since her love is Neelix. Oh. But anyways, I think that could have been cool. They're <laughs> like, well, we lost all of our medical division and we lost all our female security officers. So let's make Kess into like our doctor karate chopper. I would have been super. Our security Yeah, doctor. I would have been super into that. That would have been cool. Um, to later Voyager, even though it's not the seven, she's not much of a secure. She is tough as nails. She kind of has that uh, aspect of her where she can do anything, but she doesn't also. She also does not go into the security role. Yeah, I was thinking the same thing. Like she can, she she might occasionally like play that part, but definitely doesn't have that role as a standard part of her character. And so yeah, this series about uh women being more in power. Mm-hmm. still keeps that power to uh, uh, limits the power. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I mean Janeway is obviously in command, which is the other area where women are underrepresented in Star Trek. And um so far, I think they did a pretty good job, but I've only seen the first season, so I don't know about like overall, but I do like that for the most part they give Jane Janeway a much more logical like science-based background, which I think is really cool for a captain. And kind of yes. avoid some of those issues that we've been seeing with women are too emotional. They can't be captains. They can't be security officers. <laughs> and see their tentacle fiance monster and go, oh no. <laughs> I think overall you'll be pretty pleased with her. I'm glad. So far I am. She's Other amazing. Than some decision. She'll make the occasional decision that makes you go, what? <laughs> but overall. Yeah. That's good. We have some Enterprise people on this list. Who I have no yeah. idea who any of them are because I haven't, I haven't <laughs> oh. seen Enterprise yet. Okay, goodness. Well, okay. So Enterprise falls into the same problem where for the first two seasons, there's no women in security. I mean, like, no, there's nothing. But um, season three, they are given a military deta- or atta- detachment. Attachment? Detachment, yeah. Yeah, a detachment where there are um, mixed gender, basically commandos. I like commandos. Yeah. And so like top of the nails, they're like, our security isn't 
up to the job of being security because they're trained by Starfleet. So let's get these mili- <laughs> so let's get these non-Starfleet military people on the ship. And uh, yeah, they have mixed gender all the time, and it's actually pretty damn awesome. It's like this is the crew of elite squads. There are men and there are women, and uh, it's cool. Like, they, they even have names. <laughs> like a lot of them, even if they're oh whoa yeah, whoa. even if they're only in one or two episodes, they have yeah. names, which is above and beyond normal for Star Trek. And they don't really follow them too much, like in their personal lives. But once in a while, they'll be training, or they'll be on a mission. Yeah, and they're mostly there either to cause conflict or be a love interest or both. Yeah, but they're there. But, 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 <laughs> but they're there, and they're they're named, and you know they exist. Yeah, and when they're doing their job, the makeups are actually quite competent. Unlike normal Starfleet security. <laughs> so you don't think that these people would be taken out by a tiny cat? Uh, well, not usually. <laughs> Look, tiny black cats can be dangerous. Okay. They are. Uh, believe me, as someone who is constantly surrounded by tiny black cats, I know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's still the funniest thing I've ever seen on Star Trek, and that's saying something. Overall, they, they, like I said, they're pretty competent. They can do their job. I'm sure you'll find one or two... Someone in comments will make one or two, like, oh, this makeup totally got the crap kicked out of them by a small child or something. But <laughs> overall, they're pretty awesome. We always welcome comments. Feel free to explain why Starfleet security is actually the most competent in the galaxy. <laughs> I would love to see this reasoning. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, do we want to mention Talus? Yes. Oh, I love Andorians. <laughs> and yeah. I loved her. Talus was an uh, Andorian, and... Uh, a lieutenant on under Shran, who was also his lover, Ooh, of course, and died in the line of duty. Again, of course, because all of our women in security have died. Yeah, that's that's all I got. Oh, she, I have a crush on her. <laughs> She's awesome. <laughs> like, like, I loved her character when she was on there. Um, like, I don't have much to say about her, but she was the Andorian security, which later becomes Starfleet security. Mm-hmm. But when she wasn't dead. But um, yeah, she's an example of someone being competent at their job, being awesome. And then I think about um, actually something we kind of missed, but we're kind of been talking about Starfleet security more or less. We we didn't talk about Klingons, and uh, there aren't many, but there are a few female warriors, but they're not security. It's hard to when we're dealing with you know the alien that we're talking to this week. It's kind of hard to identify who on that that bridge through that view screen is their security officer. So unless there like is some reason to know it, how would we? The first person I think of is that bodybuilder woman from what is it Star Trek Six, the one that Chekhov and Sulu mm. are like, hey, hey, woman with muscles. She's the, the first person that comes to mind when I think of a Klingon security officer, but obviously we don't know a whole lot about, you know, how that ship was organized. Oh, she was also apparently first officer. See that first officer mm-hmm. thing? Mm-hmm. But like with, with Talus, like, I think she was great, but they, they also made her trans lover, right? And they also made a point of saying how Andorian females are known for their sexual aggressiveness, mm-hmm. right? So she can't just Maybe be like a well-rounded <laughs> woman in security for another species. She also has to be sexually aggressive and the the lover of one of our, mm-hmm. not main characters, but like main recurring characters. And it's just, why? You why? know what I wouldn't mind? 
an asexual security officer. Woohoo! Yeah, that'd be great. Or you could have been an Andorian as well, even. They have like, what, four <laughs> genders? Yes, <laughs> they have four genders. And all are required for procreation. I haven't seen much of the Andorians yet because they're only very briefly in TOS. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a shame. But when you get to Enterprise, you'll see them more. And oh, they're they're one of my favorite races in all of Star Trek, and they actually flesh them cool. out a bunch. We have Star Trek Beyond in here. Oh yeah, Star Trek Beyond. I I only noticed this because like um in Star Trek Beyond in the background when um when the ship was under attack. I won't go into spoilers if someone hasn't seen Which it. Which you should see it because it's a good movie. Yeah, they did mm-hmm. an awesome job. They made up for into dark into darkness in my opinion. But uh, in the background. They, no one has a speaking role again. It's a mixed gender of men and women, but they're in the background getting the crap kicked out of them. Yeah. And they're obviously security. So I thought it was cool. Yeah. Equal opportunity, crap kicked out. <laughs> <laughs> and then in Star Trek Continues actually makes up for the TOS problem. It's not canon, but, but they, they have a number of women in security role as well. That's nice. One thing that I like about fan works is we can we can fix some of these things. Like, if I ever end up writing Star Trek fic, maybe I'll I'll make an OC that um, is an awesome asexual security officer. I'll make a ship that's make a ship that's mostly women and one or two men on the crew. Right <laughs> there, you go. <laughs> See how they like it. <laughs> I have a feeling they won't like it. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing when I we keep. I feel like it's a recurring theme here on Women at Warp that we say it's done so much better in the books. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, though. It's but so it's true. it's true. <laughs> yeah, one thing I like about um, we just read the Legacies trilogy. That's something that they did really well mm-hmm. is have a lot of women background characters. As just like every like randomly, you'd have women background characters. They had a background trans character, you know, just just sprinkled there here and there, just letting us know, hey. Women exist. People like you exist in this future. And we're, exactly. And we're going to tell I, you about them. And I appreciate that. In the face of the unknown, which I mentioned earlier and reviewed for, for the blog, there is an alien who even calls out the gender disparity on the Enterprise. And like you, you get Kirk's reaction, which is initially to be defensive. And then you like see his little, not, well, the, the italicized thought of like, no, this alien is right. You know, even though other mm-hmm. ships might be better, the Enterprise could do better with gender equality, yeah, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, way to go. I love Kirk. <laughs> I feel like Kirk would be the kind of person that if you were like, hey, man, you don't have enough women. He'd be like, no, man, look. Or, oh, <laughs> <laughs> you are totally right. Let me fix that. Yeah. I feel like he would be like that. That seems very in character to me. I think so. He's a thoughtful dude. It's actually one thing that I'm not super happy with the the new movies. I feel like they kind of stripped that quality away from him. But TOS Kirk is definitely a very thoughtful person. And maybe a thoughtfulness happens off screen in the uh, movie universe, <laughs> in the Kelvin universe. Yeah. In between his threesomes with Cations. Yep. <laughs> but we do have some Facebook oh, comments to get to. <laughs> I like that. That's a... Uh, that's, Seamless transition. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I'm here for. <laughs> so I want to read this one. Um, Roy wrote, honestly, with on-screen track, I think they largely failed miserably. 
The sample pool is woefully small, especially if you only consider those characters with significant speaking parts. The one from the animated series comes off to me as very tropey, and in many ways her plotline feels like a rehash of what little girls are made of. Yar, while possessed of potential, did not have enough time to develop into a character of substance, although I think most agree that yesterday's Enterprise went a long way towards showing us what she ultimately could have become. As for Sito, well, she's great. She's also dead. Where where are the other women and security officers? It would have been nice, perhaps, if they'd given Tuvok a deputy chief who was a woman, someone who was not afraid to speak up when she disagreed with him. I cannot find the lie. No, no. And again, um, kind of talk about if we would have had more characters who had reoccur- reoccurring roles, we could have fleshed out the main characters as well as given some insight into the crew, and could have really made something of these people. Yeah, I have to. I have to agree. Like, like with uh, that comment. Like, like I don't I mean a lot of other TV shows. Maybe because it just wasn't common at the time to have reoccurring characters who were killed off or just left the show. I mean, sure it happened, but it just wasn't a common thing in t- television back then. As opposed to nowadays, where it, it is more frequent. Because te- television has just changed. Yes. Television, the, the nature of television has changed a lot since we, you know, TOS especially. But even the late 80s, early 90s, television has changed. We we have a lot more of art storytelling in, because we've got binge watching now. So they have more of a opportunity to tell extremely complex arch stories in today's television that they had even even when we had like DS9 Voyager time frame. So the really interesting thing, like I don't know if this was ever in any of their contracts, but like if you when you're watching The Next Generation, everyone who was in that opening credits, I think it, with the exception of maybe two episodes, has at least one line in the episode. It can be like a totally wharf focused like Klingon super episode, and you will get at least one like boardroom scene where everybody else has at least one line. Yeah, almost always. Right. Yeah, except for like the first season where I have a couple of missing Troy episodes. But right. for the most part they they do a good job of keeping it pretty um like everybody wow. has at least one thing to say. Almost yeah. always. And we look at TV now, and there are entire episodes where you've only got one of your main characters in it. Like, the entire way we watch mm-hmm. television and the way we create television has totally changed in the last 30 years. To be honest, I think the way that it's changed is for the better. Oh, I agree. So I'm hoping that, again, we keep going back to, like, hopes for discovery, but, oh, this poor show, it can never live up to what we want from it. I know, I know, right? Oh wow. I I don't know. I don't know how I'd feel if I was making discovery. But I mean, this is something that they can they can capitalize on. And hopefully they do. Especially since they are going to be a streaming show. This is true. Heck, like, you could have almost have another entire show about how Star Trek kind of helped shape the arc storytelling. Mm-hmm. I want cuz DS9 kind of was one of the first shows that really did that at least in the Star Trek universe. Mm-hmm. And then Voyager kind of forgot it, and then Enterprise brought it back. And there are a few recurring characters that help the main characters be who they are. Especially the last two seasons of Enterprise. There were yes. a lot of arced stories, and there were a lot of recurring characters. I mean, you got Shran, you got uh, um, 
Caval, Caval, uh, oh, yeah, I'm drawing a complete blank on Saval. Mm-hmm. And then in the first season or two, uh, there was Crimin Cutler, who sadly passed away in real life. Mm-hmm. And so she wasn't on the show anymore. But I loved her. She was so cute and fun. And yay, recurring characters who aren't the main characters, I guess. <laughs> the yeah. short version, because they can really flesh out the show. I mean, in TNG, Ro was only in, what, eight episodes or something? Something like that, yeah. And she still made, had a huge presence. Garrick has a huge presence on oh, DS9, yeah. even though he's not actually in all that many episodes. Which is shocking. Yep. Like, so somebody, at some point, we were talking about Garrick, and somebody brought up that number, and I'm like, you're kidding. No. Because <laughs> he feels like he's such a part of that show. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, that's uh, both the mark of a good character and an example of how you can have them have a huge footprint without all that much screen time. So, things to think about for the future. Have a security officer that can defeat a cat. (laughs) I give women more speaking roles. That would be great, too. Named women with speaking roles and competency. It's really a minimal list, let's be real. You know, it, yeah, it's not asking for much. Yeah. Like, I don't know why this is so difficult. I don't either, to be honest, but... So maybe it's just because it's a sign of the time. It's time. Yeah. That's a big part of it. Well, is there anything else we want to add about women in security on Star Trek? Well, thanks so much for joining us, Sabriel. Uh This was lovely. Thank you for suggesting the topic and then coming and speaking with us on it. Thank you so much for having me. We could have gone for a few more hours. I love talking about Star Trek, but <laughs> I don't know if anyone else would have enjoyed that. So where can people find you elsewhere on the internet if they want to track you down and talk more about Star Trek with you? Oh, yeah. The easiest way to find me is go to my website, sabriel.me, and you can see all my socials. I am very active on Twitter. I talk a lot about Overwatch. Yes. But I also... That's how we <laughs> Yes. And I also love Star Trek and often we'll talk about episodes that I'm watching on, on Star Trek. So follow me there. Just go to sabriel.me and find me on the internet through there. All right, great. And Sue, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Spaltor. That's S-P-A-L-T-O-R. And the easiest place to find me is also on Twitter where I'm at, First Time Trek. You can also reach out to our show. We have our website, womenatwarp.com. You can find us on Facebook at Women at Warp. And you can email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. Thanks so much for listening.